that, and I what I what I've also has struck me probably since writing the book is how many of his his songs are are ghost stories. Um, County Fair is a kind of ghost story. It's time, um, and so one of the things that I talk about in the book is I compare him with Emily Dickinson. Person who's ever compared him with Emily Dickinson, but there's a, a Dickinson poem which is called "Because I Did Could Not Stop for Death." He kindly stopped for me. She manipulates time, so you get a shiver because you think, oh, it was a moment and it's gone. And Springsteen in County Fair, he's talking about this girl. And then, you know, time sort of collapses and you realise that it was a long time ago. And the Tucson train song, you think there's nobody going to turn up there. You know, th this person he's waiting for isn't really there. It's a ghost, ghost song. and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and we are doing a timey-wimey episode, which are some of my favorites. It is my morning. It's my guest afternoon, and uh, we are here to talk a little Bruce with Gavin Colleen Brooks. How are you doing, Gavin? I'm doing fine, Jesse. How are you? I am great. Tell us a little about yourself. Give us your elevator pitch. <laughs> that wasn't one of your questions you were going to ask. No, no, oh. I, I'm sorry. Just to tell okay. us a little about you. Okay, so um, I, uh, I'm, I currently live in Paris and Wiltshire, uh, but for many years I was uh, um, a professor of American literature and teaching uh, literature, teaching French novels as well, and teaching creative writing. And so oh, that's interesting. Into this, yeah. What uh, what were some of your favorite novels to talk about? Uh, I loved talking about Madame. Bo I had a, a module where I taught uh, Madame Bovary, Flaubert's okay. Madame Bovary, Stendhal's yeah. The Red and the Black, mm -hmm. uh, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, and Tolstoy's Anna Karenina. And I quickly learned to put Anna Karenina first because it's very long, and the students wouldn't otherwise read it. Oh, that's interesting. Very nice. Uh, are uh, are you no longer teaching? Uh, I took uh, severance uh, about three years ago, but I also paint. So I'm now okay. painting most of the time uh, in Paris or when I'm when I'm here. Oh. Um, so that's the that's the the main thing. I mean, the other thing about me, I suppose, is I was once a teenager, yeah, who, hoping to achieve something and. Uh, and Bruce was very significant in, you know, getting me to do that. Well, I can't wait to hear that story. Uh, I always like to start, though. Um, how have you been doing during the pandemic? You know, things um, are starting to settle down a little bit normal here in the U.S., but how's right. it going where you are? Uh, it's been in Paris. Things have opened up. Uh, so it's, it's, it's actually quite interesting because there are no tourists. Mm -hmm. So I can go to the Louvre and the Musée d'Orsay and everywhere, and it's it's not crowded. So I'm experiencing a different kind of Paris to the one that, uh, you know, you would normally, normally have. And Wiltshire is just quiet, rural. Mm -hmm. So I haven't been, um, it hasn't had a big, a big effect. I mean, I spend, uh, people who write books and so on, spend a lot of their time on their own anyway. Uh, yeah. So it hasn't made a, a huge, how about you? Um, so uh, my day job is I run a dispatch center for um for the recreation vehicles rvs okay. um airstreams and yeah. you know mobile homes and um so last summer we there was an explosion here in the u.s because one of the safest ways to travel is to either rent an rv or yeah. buy an rv because you're self-contained yeah. so my business has been crazy so i've been back at work since May of 2020. And in a lot of ways, uh, except for having to wear a mask all the time, my life was pretty normal. Hmm. Uh, a couple of months ago, I had a little bit of health issue and um, that I've talked about it. So, but I'm back at work now and uh, it's busy and uh, we're getting okay. And uh, 
I have um, I have tickets uh, to see a singer-songwriter, Sarah Hickman, who we adore, has been a longtime fan of, and we actually became friends. Uh, she is playing at a small little pub at the end of July. We're going to go see her. That'll be the first live music we've seen in forever. And then um, a singer-songwriter named Marsha Ball, who is from New Orleans. Uh, we're seeing her in August. So, you know, slowly but surely, things are getting back to normal. That's the big difference, isn't it? Missing live music and live sport. Yes. Yeah, those two yeah. In fact, yeah. I have tickets to go see the Texas Rangers baseball game like at the end of August. Last year, they opened a new park and no one got to go see it right. except the media. And so this year we're going to go. And yeah, uh, you're right. Music and sports, um, yeah. Yeah. you know. And, and Paris Saint-Germain, the, uh, the Paris soccer team, they owe me money. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> got tickets. So I'll, I hope I'll use them sometime. That's good. That's good. Well, um, let's talk, let's go back to the beginning. Talk about where you grew up and what kind of music was your family musical? Did they listen to a lot of music as a kid? Were you the household full of music? That's a very interesting question. And, and I would say that really it was not a musical household. Okay. And that the whole point was that music was this, this world that opened up that was uh, not you know, not where I was. Wow. Okay. And so I was thinking, what did my parents listen to? Well, they, they, um, they listened to things like uh, Nightingale uh, sang in Berkeley Square, sort of 19, sort of 1940s song uh, and that kind of thing. But we had an attic upstairs at the top of this okay. uh, house in the, in the English countryside. And there was an old turntable and some 78s, which is an old kind of record. Yes. I I, uh, you know, didn't really listen to, but there were two singles and I listened to those, I suppose they sort of six, seven, eight, nine, all the time, these same two songs or four songs of the two sides. And one was Nancy Sinatra, Sugar Town. Okay. Uh, and the other, uh, which is a very surreal song when you're six, seven, eight. You know? Sure. And, and the other one was Chubby Checker. Okay. In particular, it would have been the twist, and on the B side was "Let's Twist Again," like we did last summer. Uh huh. And I vividly remember sitting up in this—it uh, was a kind of tower attic—listening to "Let's Twist Again," like we did last summer. And uh, I think I think Bruce talks at some point about the sadness that you can hear in in some of these songs beneath the merriment, mm -hmm. and that was very much the case, you know, because it's last summer. That whole sense of uh, yeah, time passing and so on. So that was my my uh, that was it. I would retreat to the attic and um, and listen to these two songs, these two records. And uh, in time, my parents would buy some records here and there, but we didn't connect really. Okay. Uh, in that sense, in terms of music. So you you mentioned a few minutes ago and becoming a teenager and how Bruce became an influence in your life. So let's let's delve into that a little bit. So. Um, you know, all of us, at least in my case, right, my parents were very much into um, country music. And um, when I was a teenager, I discovered AM rock and roll and, you know, and kind of found my own, you know, niche, though never totally abandoned country music because it was in my blood, you know, for my parents. But um, talk about, you know, finding um, other music you you move on I assume from the two records and talk about what kind of music you're liking and then how did you discover Bruce so what happened was that I discovered as a teenager I discovered Buddy Holly ah and, greatness and and the Everly Brothers and I was brought up in the UK obviously and so to me uh, this was my sort of introduction to American music apart from Chubby Checker, and then Eddie Cochran. Okay. Uh, Eddie Cochran, uh, he, he died in a car wreck about two miles from where I'm, where I'm talking. Oh, now, interesting. Uh, in, in, a, in Chippenham in Wiltshire. Uh, and so uh, and in 1960, so I was born in 1961. So he was one of these sort of figures from the past. And then um, it was that American music it was Buddy Holly and Everly Brothers 
that brought me to um, America at the age of 18, even though mm -hmm. obviously I listened to the Beatles and the Stones sure. and Eric Clapton and so on. And uh, I came to the States um, thinking, I think, that I would discover, I used to watch things like Grease and Happy Days and all these yeah. things. And, and I came there assuming that somehow the America I'd discover would be the America from the music and from popular culture. And I used to sit on the Greyhound bus for years, traveling around uh, the 48 conterminous states, listening to music that I picked up along the way. And that would be Leonard Skinner and Neil Young and Credence Clearwater and Willie Nelson, Bob Seger, uh, Supertramp, a UK band. Um, mm -hmm. I remember sitting on a bus listening to Rainy Night in Georgia, Randy Crawford. And so, wow. um, and, and then Harry Chapin, a song called Greyhound. And so, first of all, it was always an escape. And in the end, it was me actually escaping with a soundtrack, listening to um, this, this kind of music. So my first thought is the Simon and Garfunkel looking for, you know, um, all yeah. here, look for America. Because, okay. you know, he and, you know, as the singer, he's talking about being in the bus and listening. Mm. So, yeah, I that's immediately... Happy I'm um, lost. Yeah. yeah Michigan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The um what what brought you first off, um, I did not discover Buddy Holly till the Gary Busey movie. Right. You know, and that was I think a lot of people found him that way and has since have loved that music. And then the Everly brothers, um absolutely just a beautiful harmony. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I could see how both of those. Um, what brought you to the U.S.? So I worked at a summer camp in okay. Stony, Stony Lake, Michigan. Okay. Uh, and then another one in the Poconos in, in okay. Pennsylvania. Um, it was a scheme that you could, you know, they paid your flight and everything and you just came over and yeah. and, uh, and worked there. Um, so I would, I would arrive in America having, you know, watched Rebel Without a Cause and I would yeah. wear a white T-shirt and a red jacket. And sure. <laughs> sort of living those things but there was one one other thing and obviously I saw American graffiti and that sort of thing but there was a there was a counterpoint to that and that was Bob Dylan who was none of these things right um, and was very bad for my teenage years really he made me very antisocial, and so I started wearing mirror glasses and trying to look melancholy and so on um and uh in particular but he did have what he what all this music shared was this sense of a kind of lostness and a kind of place elsewhere. And in particular, um, his song, Something There Is About You, uh, where he has the lines, thought I'd shaken uh, the wonder and the phantoms of my youth, rainy days in the, on the Great Lakes, walking, walking the hills of old Duluth. Mm. So again, I thought, well, I must go, and part of the point of sitting on a Greyhound was to go to places like Duluth and walk in the hills <laughs> and uh, walk along the old canal and try and experience a simple twist of fate and, and so on. So uh, I'm a big fan of um, the Magic Act, Penn and Teller, and Penn Gillette does a podcast. And he talks a lot about, as a youth, he listened to Bob Dylan, and he still is a massive Dylan fan. And he talks about he wanted to do everything that his hero did you know, run the rails and go hitchhiking. Yeah. And he said that, you know, later he found out that Bob did none of that, that he was right. just making up the stories, yeah, but it yeah. felt true to him. So, um, you know, I think that's interesting that, you know, you're, you're coming to a different country to kind of find yourself and, and using that music to dis discover that's who right. you want to be not just now but when you grow up that's right because you don't have especially if you come to a new country you don't have you you don't have parents you don't have siblings yeah. you are judged entirely on as a stranger you know, yeah sure yeah completely and so it was at um shall I, shall I explain how bruce comes into this please then? so um at I guess I heard Born to Run in the summer of 79 in Michigan, but I didn't, it was background. And then I worked in uh, this camp in the Poconos and there was this, uh, a council called Dogie. And he gave me the Wild, the Innocent and the East Street Shuffle. He said, oh, you should listen to this because he was from New Jersey. He said, this is, yeah. this, this is this stuff. 
And I still remember putting that on in the cabin and the first strumming of the street shuffle. I still remember that first moment and thinking, wow, this is something different. Uh, and uh, so I came home to the UK and I bought, and at this time I was drifting, you know, I, I, I was unemployed or I just worked in the yeah. summers. I, I hadn't done, I dropped out of high school. You know, I just didn't know what I was doing. And so I came home and I bought um, Asbury Park and Born to Run and Darkness. And I started studying at night school. And I, I listened to him on a tape deck that was stuck on the dashboard. And every time I turned a corner, it would kind of crash off. And uh, I played in particular Born to Run, but probably Darkness on the Edge of Town uh, more than anything, traveling back and forth. Um, and um, through that, you know, I got into college and so on. Um, and there's certain lyrics from that that uh, I think just changed my life. I think the song Badlands really mm -hmm. changed my life. Uh, you know, all that stuff about trouble in the heartland, head on collisions, smashing yeah. in my guts. And then in particular, the, the lines, um, obviously, I don't give a damn about the played out old scenes, yeah, uh, the in-betweens and so on. And then talk about a tree, dream, try to make it real. You wake up in the night with a fear so real. Spend your life waiting for a moment that just won't come. Don't waste your time waiting. My God, that was such a spur to actually do something, you know. You know, Gavin, there's a there's a fairly new podcast called That One Lyric, where, okay. uh, you know, where you... Um, he the host has a Springsteen fan and they pick one lyric that is vital to them and you just did that right that that talk about a dream try to make it real um and I know um Bruce would probably say don't put that junk on me you know don't put that crap on me but the reality is you know as you explained that lyric inspired you to you know, not wait for things, wait for things. Better days is my, is my version of that, where you said, you know, I, I waiting for my life to become while well, it's all just slipping away, you know? And so my, I often talk about better days as it is the, to me, the song is life is happening now and you can't wait for better days. You have to make the better days now, no matter what you're going through. That's and right. uh, I've, Badlands is a, is another perfect example of that. Mm. I mean, and, but I mean, this, this, the slightly odd thing is that what I was doing was studying Elizabethan history and literature. Yeah. I was doing very un, you know, unspringsteen things. Yes. But, but, you know, you, at that age, you are soaking up these things. Yeah. And this book, the, the Stondal's The Red and the Black, is a French novel from 1831. But it has a character in it called Julian Sorel, who is just like the, the, the character in, in Badlands because he's rushing to the future, trying to, you know, trying to become somebody. So this is a, it goes right back. You know, it's, it's just what it is to be a teenager, I suppose. Um, no, that's, that's very fascinating. And the idea that, you know, a lot of Springsteen's music are universal themes which shows, right, like a French novel. And Bruce, you would not think those two together. And then here they were, um, you know, actually you felt like that he, that character could be a character in a Springsteen song. Sure, sure that's right. And I mean, it, it, it takes all sorts of forms. So uh, on my uh, study door, I have a, a little cutout of somebody, it's an advertisement, and it's saying, I saw Springsteen last night and now I'm inspired to sell houses. <laughs> <laughs> in other words it doesn't matter what your job is but if it makes you want to be the best at what you're doing you know and to fulfill your potential that's what he's really that's what he inspires i think in people absolutely um so i always like to preface this question gavin that i don't think the amount of times you've seen bruce live is a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are because there are people who are massive fans that have never had a chance to see him. Sure. But have you got to see him live? And if so, do you count how many? Absolutely. I, I have a list. And it's not that many, but it is uh, each one is pivotal. 
Okay. Because the first one was uh, 1981 uh, in London, and it was one. Of, it was a show when it was supposed to be April, and it was pushed back two months because of exhaustion. And uh, so the person who had the ticket couldn't go and gave it to me, and I was in the third row. And uh, you know, I would—I guess he was thirty-something, and I would have been twenty, maybe. Um, and it—it was—that was, was life-changing again, uh, because I call—I was in—I was close up, and I was able to call out for a song. Mm. And I called out for um, "Backstreets," and he was playing the river stuff. So okay. he, he looked a little bit a little bit fed up with the fact that I was calling out for this song and then other people picked up on it and he came up and he pointed at me and he he said we'll get that one for you later and it was like um I don't know oh if you know, wow it was if you know Michelangelo's uh Adam and God in, yeah in the, in Chapel. exactly it was you know you, this shit I still get, I get the shiver when I when I think about it oh now. sure uh and so that was the spur and then I didn't see him for a long time well four years and I saw him during the Born to Run tour in Syracuse in New upstate New York where I was doing an MA and uh, we were miles back and there was no connection and I thought yeah uh, it, it didn't work didn't work at all so I, I left off for a long time and then took my young my daughters in 2008 to Cardiff and again we were right back it didn't have the right kind of impact yeah so we went again to Coventry in the UK in 2013 and we waited for about seven hours to get into the mosh pit okay uh, because I just realized that you had to be up close you had sure to be up close. and uh, I was so exhilarated by that show that I instead of getting on with my work as an academic I spent the next few days um, reading Springsteen watching Springsteen and I thought well I'll write I'll have to write a book oh wow and I went off to play soccer uh, and I played, you know, better than I've ever played, probably. And somebody said, what's the matter? I said, well, I've just seen Springsteen. <laughs> I was kind of <laughs> buzzing from this thing. So that's what that's where the book came from. And then um, in 2016, I experimented by in Paris by seeing it from uh, further back and the mosh pit. Uh -huh. And um, I talk about that in the book because something slightly embarrassing happened. But um, I'll come to that maybe later. And then... Okay. Then Broadway, 2018, yes. went with my daughter and we waited for four hours on the on the sidewalk. And I'd bought a copy of the autobiography and I had a flyer for the book. And uh, um, Patty took the flyer and we told him about this. And he came up and he, he I said, I've written a book about you. He signed the Born to Run. I said, I've written a book about you. He said, that's so kind of you. Uh, and so what he didn't know is that this was decades after I'd asked for a song before I'd even started a career. Yeah. And so, um, again, I wrote about that. Well, talk about the book. Uh, the book. Okay. So um, you've jumped forward. I've got all my questions in front. You've jumped forward. Yeah. Well, I, well you know, it's a conversation. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah but no, I just, uh, and we can go to the book later. No, uh, no. Just, yeah, just, way. yeah. Okay, so um, what happened with the book was that I had written um, books on American novelist William Styron, who wrote Sophie's Choice, and I'd written okay. Joyce Carol Oates, uh, who's written lots of stuff and happens also to be Catholic origin and working in New Jersey. So that was kind of interesting. Okay, sure. Um, and uh, I thought, well, what can I write about? I'm, I'm, I must write this book about, about Springsteen. Um, and I thought, he's an American writer. I can do that. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, but I had to make it fresh and it had to be something that made sense in uh, in terms of what I could do. I was quite influenced by a book by Dan Kavicki called Tramps Like Us from 1998. Okay. It was about music and meaning in, among Springsteen fans. Uh, and so um, I wanted that whole element to sort of sort of come into it. One of the things I'm quite proud about is in, in chapter four of the book, which is called Of Time in the River, which is about Springsteen Live. When I was in Paris, I asked the names of the people all around me in the in the concert and I put them in the book. Oh, how nice. Uh, yeah. So they're all sort of get acknowledged um, mm -hmm. um, in it. Uh, but so it's a kind of hybrid uh, book because 
I use my background. So I start with, um, you know, going to Asbury Park, being an outsider looking in, you know, I'm very aware I'm not, you know, from New Jersey, I'm not a musician, I'm not American, and so on. Um, and then I, and I write about um, American literature and Springsteen. Uh, and then um, I write about um, the, the, the strong, the change that I think came about. I write about something called multiple selves, which is that Springsteen had, a, I think it was a kind of crisis with Born, with Born in the USA, where there was a slight, for me, there was a disconnect. And I felt that that was happening possibly with him too. And that I would, that's where you separate his life, his career into, into a different parts, I think there. And then I have a chapter uh, called After Springsteen about the effect of Springsteen on people's lives. Um, but the central chapter for me is, is of Time in the River, um, which starts with um, going past Eddie Cochran's memorial in my hometown, just at the very moment that Springsteen is actually live singing um, summertime blues. Oh wow! Yeah, it was. It was. I was in a rainstorm, and I and my headlights hit the uh, the memorial, and on came Springsteen. You know, with that beat and uh, that song. That's a surreal moment. It was, yeah. So, and that was great because that. So I put all that in the book. So the book is, you know, it's memoir, it's travel, okay, but it's also critique. Yeah, and the. Um... The, the name of the book is American Lonesome, yeah. the work of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And uh, that's, um, it is on my to-do list to read it. And I wanted to kind of visit with you first and then pick it up and kind of uh, read it. It, uh, it, it sounds amazing. Um, I, I loved writing it, you know, when, when you yeah. teach, you enjoy teaching, presumably the students enjoy it too. And so right. if you enjoy writing a book, then readers should enjoy it. I was very conscious in writing it that all kinds of people from all sorts of backgrounds are interested in Springsteen. And so some chapters will suit people more than others. You know, some of them are to do with philosophy. Some of them are memoir um, and and so on. But I was always just thinking, well, I'm a fan, and I'll just write from my my perspective, I suppose. And the other thing that was important to me is that um, the cover is my because I'm a painter too, and the cover is my oil painting. Oh, okay. And that came about. I just, you know, I couldn't use an image because of you know copyright issues and yeah. so on. So I watched lots of videos, and I yeah. kind of created an image out of that um so it's a kind of original image and it, it's what i like about it is that it doesn't show him with an instrument it shows him sort of in, introspectively you know he could be a writer he's a writer as well as being a musician a, and a performer yeah when you read the his autobiography um as a give me the two perspectives as a fan but also as someone who um, studies and, oh, I'm trying to think the right word, critiques um, literature as a living. So can you give me both perspectives or are they the same for you, his autobiography? Um, I think that uh, he writes very well. Um, somebody did say to me, well, Maybe there are too many uh, exclamation marks, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the main thing about him is that he's he has honed his writing skills for decades. Yes. I mean, he, he has those lines. I, I always think of the line. I'm not sure. I can't think of the line itself, but in um, uh, one in, in uh, he's singing about the, the lights on the Jersey Shore mm -hmm. and you get this incredible impression of the reflection of the lights from the pier in the water. Yeah. It's very, very good at just creating this sense of putting you there. At the moment, I'm watching a, a, um, a documentary about Hemingway. Okay. One of the things that they say about Hemingway is he, he puts you in that place and yes. in those, those feelings. And Springsteen can do that. And therefore, when I think of uh, Born to Run, I think of that early passage where he's talking about being a child yeah. and imagining you know his street is um you know it's the nevadas the sierra nevadas or yeah where it happens to be and, and uh, he, he's able to put you in that child's perspective and then of course with the relationship with his father and so on so it's a it's an exceptionally well written book i think 
You know, Gavin, um, I had a, um, a writer named Ron Martz on the show. Uh, he's actually been on two or three times. Um, and he has um, written, um, you can name a popular um, superhero from the Marvel or DC universe, and he's written them. You know, okay. he is just, he's, he's, he's amazing. And um, he talked about that uh, Springsteen and Stephen King were his two biggest influences. And we were talking about, I don't know, being in the UK, if you've got to hear as many as we in America, but the, uh, from my home to yours, the little radio shows that he's done for East Street Radio, have you gotten to hear some of them? I listened to one through the night. I was shattered. Okay. I could listen to them recorded. No, they're, they're wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Ron said, we know he's a great storyteller. Why are we shocked that he's able to tell a story in this medium? Right. And, and I think the same thing, right. That um, I thought the book was, I thought at times, and I don't, I say this with great love in my heart, Bruce cannot be a very good interviewer at times. He, you know, when people are interviewing him, he can tend to uh, laugh at his own jokes and kind of, you could see he's uncomfortable talking about himself, at least in early interviews. I think with the letter to you publicy, he seemed to be really more comfortable with it. And I think the podcast with President Obama, he really opened up a lot about himself. And I think the book helped him. I, I think, yes, it is. Um, and, you know, supposedly he just started writing. And, you know, the story is right. He just showed up at the publicist and we're like, hey, I think you're my publicist. Would you be interested in publishing this? Um, so I think it's a very real book. And it it really, he shares a lot about himself. Mm, he does. No, I think of when you were saying that, there's a, a particular interview he does in about 1998 in Los mm -hmm. Angeles, I think. Yeah. And uh, there's a little nervous laugh that he has all the time. So. Mm -hmm. You're right, you're right, he's not comfortable. But then, yeah. you know, I think obviously a stable um, home and, and children growing up and Patty yeah. in particular, um, I think that's all, uh, he's, he's very comfortable in his own skin, obviously now. I, I think he is now, and um, I, I am glad, at the same time unhappy, that he changed the Broadway play. You know, this latest revival, he is he's adjusted, made a couple of new songs and changed some of the dialogue. Um, I am thrilled that he made it more personal, just unhappy that I'm not going to get to go see the new show. I, say, I mean, I've, I've heard a couple of uh, Ken Rosen and so I've, I've read a yeah. couple of reviews. And he was when I saw it in, I think it was about April of uh, yeah. 2018, um, he was he was openly if not crying, he was uh, very, uh, he either had a der terrible cold uh -huh. or he was really um, quite choked up. He talked about his mother. Yes. Uh, um, that she could only dance and, and her Alzheimer's. Um, he talked about his um, Catholicism too. Mm -hmm. In fact, he ended with the Lord's Prayer. Yes, he did. Yeah, <laughs> which, which... which rather surprised me actually. But yes. And he said they got, they got me. Yeah, and so it was. It was personal, and I, he was singing one. He was singing the song for his mother about um, uh, what's that one? The um, wish. Yeah, the wish. Exactly. The yeah. Guitar. Uh, and he, I thought he's not going to get through it. Yeah, I really thought that. And so, uh, but he has always said, hasn't he, that um, it's an act, right? But it also has to come from within and it has to be authentic too you don't give all of yourself but you do give an, a, a lot of yourself and, and that was the case with badland you know he's thinking yes. about it himself yes but doing so he's giving it to other people too yeah you know gavin the joke right um is once you learn how to fake sincerity you've got it made mm. um uh, the reality is you can only fake so much and and yes as he talked about his magic trick and the persona of you know someone who's never worked a regular day job his whole life but has written all about these um i i think um you know there's that great line in storytellers i'm gonna have it wrong where he said you know he's talking about the meaning of the lyrics and he says was i thinking about this 
maybe was I trying to do this on purpose maybe but was I feeling it absolutely 100 percent you know and that's good I think um the revelations about the depression and so on yes were were absolutely no surprise to me because he's so he talked earlier in interviews about a kind of abuse of self-abuse you know giving everything um, and of course, it's like a, a kind of veering truck because the higher you go, the the harder you you're going to fall as well. And he, yeah. if you've got that ecstasy, you've got to have uh, you know the the come down from that. Um, and so that was those legendary you know four hour shows and so on. Um, yeah. And so he's managed to find that kind of balance, I suppose, hasn't he? As we hope we all do. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Um let's let's go back to the music and i always like to ask are there songs or albums that mean something to you you know and why and of course the quick answer is all of them right but there are we each have certain i think you know songs or albums that we go to at different points in our lives sure sure so i made a list okay good thank <laughs> you ones that um uh i would say when I was young, Backstreets was, I, I went, when I went to Asbury Park, I went to the, the Born to Run house. Okay. And, uh, you know, he talks about being in a beach house and so on. Right. Um, and, uh, it was such a revelation because it's such a tiny house. And yes. yet it's explosively big sound uh, that comes out. So Backstreets uh, was, was really important. And Jungle Land, because of the line, warm beer, drinking warm beer in the soft summer rain. I mean, I spent a, a long time after listening to that, going and finding, getting a beer, a warm beer, and sitting on the hood of a car, drinking it in the soft summer rain. Because Yes, <laughs> yeah, the, oh, that is such an image. I had a, um, I had a guest that said that um, she took pictures of her, um, her children sitting on a car with a beer just as a as a christmas card once um the other thing i wanted to mention and and i apologize audience i'm i'm kind of lurching the car back so you know hang tight but um i just recently had this and the episode has not come out gavin but um i've come to a revelation and that if you grew up on the East Coast, there's a more than 50% chance that you discovered Bruce through a summer camp. Because mm-hmm. as I've interviewed these people, uh, there yeah. is an interesting theme. And I just had a guest talk about it, that there was a, there was a counselor that had his, brought his, you know, stere- his, his stereo system from home and he would play Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, you know, here's a kid from the UK and discovers Bruce at an East Coast summer camp. So there, it is, uh, you know, there are, there are themes that I discover doing this podcast. And I think that's fascinating that you kind of, I just recently had that. And so I, I hate to go back to that, but I think that's fascinating that, you know, just by the, well, I, I, I suppose I, I was, I entered the culture. That was the point. Yeah, exactly. There. You know, and, and I'm sure you would have found Bruce, you would have heard Bruce's music in other ways, but maybe not, it would not have had the emotional effect of at that age. And at that point, you're away from your family in a new country and you hear this voice, this guy that's all about, you know, how did you, John Stewart said that, um, when you listen to a Bruce Saint song, you, you stop being a loser, but you start becoming a loser in an epic tale, you know? I think that um, it was also somebody, this particular counselor, Dogie saying to me, pay attention to this. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I probably didn't, you know, sort of, it didn't hit me until I went and actually then listened to some albums. Let me give you five other songs. I'm not going to talk about And you just, you can pick up on one if you like. So what I was thinking, I was thinking, um, open all night, the Nebraska version and the Dublin version. And isn't um, that interesting that it's the same song, but absolutely. has such a different, 
I don't want to say meaning, but a feel. I mean, the Dublin version is such almost a, a joyous celebration. And then, you know, Nebraska is not that. That's right. That's right. And, and yeah. uh, that's fascinating the way he, he does that. Um, and then uh, I, I really like some of these some of these songs that you don't that are quite obscure, like County yeah. Fire and A Time That Never Was. Um, I play A Time That Never Was quite a lot. Okay. Uh, and I, what, I, what I've also has struck me probably since writing the book is how many of his, his songs are, are ghost stories. Tucson Plain, um, County Fair is a kind of ghost story. Yeah. He manipulates time. Um, and so one of the things that I talk about in the book is I compare him with Emily Dickinson. Okay. I'm probably the only person who's ever compared him with Emily Dickinson, but there's a, a Dickinson poem which is called Because I did, Could Not Stop for Death, He Kindly Stopped for Me. Right. And she manipulates time, so you get a shiver because you think, oh, it was a moment and it's gone. And Springsteen in County Fair, he's talking about this girl, and then, you know, time sort of collapses and you realise that it was a long time ago. And in the Tucson train song, you think, there's nobody going to turn up there. You know, th this person he's waiting for isn't really there. It's a ghost ghost song. So um, those all strike me. You know, um, let's let's talk about that for a minute. Um, it, one, I, I am also a Harry Chapin fan. Okay. And uh, one of my favorite songs is his is Corey's Coming. I'm not, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the song, but it is... And, and he doesn't answer the question, is Corey real? Is right. she a ghost? Is she a figment of the person's imagination? And uh, the album Legends of the Lost and Found, Bruce, uh, Harry does a live version that kind of has an ex extended verse. And Tucson Train is one of my favorite songs of the of his last two albums and we're going to talk about those in a little bit but i i love the idea i i this is uh, there's a lot of bruce's work that is very cinematic but to this this is this you know i've screwed up i i've i've done everything wrong and you just picture the protagonist um begging his partner and I say that because uh, a friend of mine who's been on the podcast very much, Bella Pori, who is a lesbian, said that she could make the argument that almost every song on Western Stars is uh, could be viewed from a gay or lesbian perspective. He, you know, she's like, yeah. so you picture this, this the singer has screwed up royally and has reached out to his partner and begged, just give me one weekend. Just, just give me one weekend. You know, I will put you in a hotel. I will put you in a separate bedroom. We don't have, but just sh let me show you how I've changed. And, um, and I love the fact that we don't know if they show up on that Tucson train. And, you know, and we're going to ask at the end the Mary question, and I'm looking forward to hearing your answer. But that's a similar question. I'm an optimist. I believe their partner does show up. And do they get back together? I don't know. But I think the idea is the singer had the chance to prove that I'm a better person now, that I can show her a man can change. is just fascinating. But at the end of the song, um you hear the ticking of the clock yes uh, and that's you know that's quite a melancholy way yes to it end. is it's twilight zone it's twilight zone. yes it is very much twilight zone but on yes. that on that point about sexuality I, I address that to some extent in american lonesome because i'd read someone had written a very good essay about about homoeroticism and so on yeah and uh, um the in in back streets it's you know you can it, it really is quite difficult to say for certain whether Terry is male or female. Yes, it is. Isn't it? You know, and it's, yeah. it just depends on which, which part of the lyrics you're looking at. Uh, yeah. So that's and then there's the whole, the onstage act with Clarence. Yeah. Um, so if, if you want, um, early back, and I can send you the link if you like, uh, Bella joined me and she said, here are Springsteen's five gayest songs. 
and right. and she uh, she went through and explained you know why they were um, and there also there is an article somewhere where how Bruce Springsteen is a lesbian icon uh, mm. which I find fascinating uh, I mean, that what he can do is um, it's like um, it's this idea of negative capability that you get in Shakespeare because he is open to all these different experiences um, he you can read into it or take yes. out your own life experience whether you're selling houses or or it's you know you're a lesbian i mean it doesn't matter, yeah does it? absolutely um all right so i hope i didn't cut you off did I, did you get through the songs you wanted to discuss uh i would uh, i'm i'm re- very interested i'll just say one other which is um obviously everyone likes the promise yes and, and in the promise and but i also like uh, land of hope and dreams yeah and one thing that interests me there is that you've got the Springsteen who is riding the wheels and then you've got the Springsteen and the promise who's getting splashed by the wheels. Yes. On the roadside. And that's right. a nice kind of light and dark. Uh, that um, is. Um, Land of Hope and Trains probably is my favorite Springsteen song. I do um, like the land actually. Huh? I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea yeah. that, um, and I had a buddy of mine who said that um, American Land and Land of Hope and Dreams are the songs that many people think Born in the USA is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you know, that those are songs of celebrations of America and what we could do uh, versus, you know, Born in the USA is not, despite it being played when fireworks go off on the 4th of July. That's uh, uh, great. Um, it's quite. Um, I mean, he, you know, he says everyone's allowed on the train. But yes, just, there are certain uh, uh, certain people in political life who yes. are not really one on the train. No, he probably wouldn't. And you know, uh, there is this whole um, "Bound for Glory." You know, is the song where um, this is the grandfather of that song where it talked about, you know, that. Um, bound for glory that they talk about all the people not included on the train you know mm-hmm. that this is you know for and and bruce's open value and i often joke to my wife the reason she doesn't like land of hope and dreams is because it's got the work war in it um mm-hmm. and she she punches me you know lovingly every time but i love the idea that all you know to get political right or to get a little religious you know, all of sin to come short of the glory of God, right? A uh, Bible verse that was, if you were raised as a Protestant was, you know, given into you. I was, I was raised as a Baptist and converted to Catholicism uh, because my wife was Catholic and, you know, we went through this, but the idea that, you know, all are welcome, that saints and sinners, you know, gamblers, um, you know, the brokenhearted is, is a very, what we want the American dream to be about. Yeah. And, and, and he's read Whitman, you know, he's, yeah. he's very well read and, and that's, that's Whitman, you know, that's it, all that comes out there. Yeah. And the final two songs that the revelations for me in letter to you were, if I was a priest, yes. you know, the early song and also song for orphans, which I immediately thought a uh, simple twist of fate he kind of takes Dylan and turns it into something else. Yeah, yeah, great song. I mean, if I were a priest, and that line about uh, about Jesus at the door, you know, in his um, in his cowboy outfit, and he's amazing. Brilliant. Well, um, yeah, I I don't know what the song means, but I know that I love it, and um, and it it was one of the songs that I would play on repeat when I first got the album. Just the way it's built and put together, it's absolutely amazing. Um, what are your um, What are your thoughts on uh, Western Stars and Letter to You? Um, I well, I went to see Western Stars um, in France actually, and uh, was yeah. very interesting talking to people there. And I, I enjoyed that, and I listened to those songs. I think Letter for You is Letter to You is the one that you know. It's sort of it's such a summing up. Yes, it is. Because, because that's what it is. You know, people write him letters. My book was a letter to him in a way, you know, a letter to other yeah. people. 
um, and and his songs are are taken by individuals. And they are, aren't they? And there's there's an Emily Dickinson line, uh, which is, "This is my letter to the world, who, who never wrote to me." Um, I bet he knows that too. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that intimacy, isn't it? Letter that you can't get more intimate than letter to you. Yeah, I do not think it will be the last album no, no, he no, I, does, I, or he Street Blues does. But in in a way, it does feel like he's summarizing his 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 career so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and it's retrospective too. Looking back to if I were if I was a priest and and so on, yeah. uh, acknowledging people like Dylan and so on. Um, so I was I was very struck. This is a bit of a tangent, but when I was writing the book, somebody said to me. Oh, do listen to um, Van Morrison, Astral Weeks. And apparently, uh, at some point, Morrison said, oh, Springsteen, he's the guy who plagiarized me. Oh. It's very interesting. If you listen to uh, Astral Weeks, you can hear where, where a song like Backstreets has partly come from. Oh, the interesting. To, um, a fortune teller. Uh, it's different kind of music, but it um, clearly was influential on him. Yeah. Well, and, and right, I think that all musicians, all creative people, we are um, influenced. I, I know that um, I haven't detoured, told this story too often on the podcast, but when my son Chris was very young, um, he was in Cub Scouts and I was a Cub Scout leader. And there was um, every year you have the blue and gold banquet, which is basically a celebration of Cub Scouts birthday. And so, um, and, you know, my decorations for the table for my boys was just horrible. It didn't look good and anything. And even my wife, when she showed up, was like, really, you didn't do anything better? Like, you know, cause everyone else was elaborate and that, you know, I was feeling bad about myself. And uh, one of the fellow leaders, Karen, looked at me and she goes first off you're a dad and you have to we we grade you at a curve secondly you cannot imagine how important it is to your son and the rest of the young men you're helping that a father left work to go work on this and third she says good cub scout leaders come up with new ideas great cub scout leaders steal from other people and i I've used that often in my life that good uh, leaders come up with new ideas. Great leaders see what worked for someone else, borrows that, makes it their own and do that. So I think you could say the same thing for artists, right? Sure. And, and that's, that's the, that's the jazz aesthetic. Yes. You know, that one music, one, one instrument will pick up on another riff and yes. do it. Right. And as he talks in Born to Run about you know, the circle in the sand you know, yes. magician, musician comes in, magician, musician comes in yeah. and picks up on what someone else has done and does their, does their bits. Of Absolutely. Um, so he's going to tour again, hopefully. Um, are there songs you haven't heard him perform live that you want to hear? That's quite a difficult um, question. I, there was one and he, then he played it. Okay. He started 2008 with small things mama are big things when they come yes the song that he gave to dave edmonds he probably wrote it backstage you know yeah. and uh, it's one of the few open all night and small things mama are two of the songs that i can play relatively well and okay. enjoy doing. yeah they're very simple sure uh, as are many of his um songs um and he opened it in cardiff in 2008 so so i've had that one i think i would really like to hear him uh, on the um, live album from 85, there's his version of John Fogarty's um, Who'll Stop the Rain. Yeah. I would. I think I would really love to hear him do that. You know? Yeah, that's a beautiful song. I, I'd love to hear Jolie Blanc live. I'm right. from Louisiana, and so therefore mm -hmm. I, I love that version of the song. Um, you know, The Wish was one of my, on my list. And then when I got to see him in Broadway, that I was able to check that off. I agree with you. There's no way he's playing County Fair live. But yeah. I would, you know, I, hearing that 
or lion's den would make me just yes you know because uh it just would be such a unique song for him to play live that's right and um well well so many you know i, I think i think i probably have heard almost all the songs that yeah I, um would like to accept of course new ones and, and yeah, exactly if I, if I was a priest you know it's yeah I, exactly i um yeah there's I mean, almost anything from Western Stars, anything from Letter to You. I do think that when we tour, we'll get a fair amount of Letter to You. Um, I am thrilled that I'll See You in My Dreams ended up making the live show, though I'm jealous. Like I said, I wanted to hear that. Um, Gavin, I've kept you almost an hour. Um, What have I not asked you that I should have? Oh, you, well, you've got to, you'll have to ask me the... Um, Mary the, question. The, yes, we'll end with the Mary question. I cannot wait to hear your answer. So not really. Um, the only thing I would say is that I've always been published by Louisiana. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just by chance. So I, I went to the Louisiana Book Festival one. one right. Just so we did a, we did a talk there. Uh, no, yeah, I think you've asked me all the questions. Okay. What's next? Are you, uh, what, what's next? Are you, uh, I assume you're continuing to paint and continuing to explore? I have been writing a, a very long manuscript, which is about Paris and the Louvre and painting. Okay. So quite possible that what I'll do is something connected with that. And the interesting thing about painting for me is that it's um, like writing. It's a very quiet thing. Um, but they're very similar. Writing and painting are very, very okay. similar. But um, uh, uh, it's it's a world away from Springsteen. But you know, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Because when you go in the Louvre and you walk around, you see all these people on in the paintings who you think, oh, I remember that person from '81 or '93. And Springsteen mm-hmm. characters and painters. Portraits in particular, all about characters. So that's the yeah. Okay. Um, If so, let's go. Uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher. He has recently retired, um, and he would every year his honors English class would take Thunder Road and break it apart as if it was a poem, uh, going through the imagery the um the you know the the words that bruce uses often compo- uh, compare it to robert frost the road not taken mm-hmm. and at the end of the two days he asks his class does mary get in the car so gavin that is your question does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road okay i'm gonna just i i used to teach uh, um the frost poem Okay. Suggest because I've seen it used at summer camps. You know, road yeah. and it sounds like a very positive thing, but of course, when you look at the poem again, it's a very negative thing. Right. Um, and so I would turn the students from seeing it one way to seeing it the other. And Thunder Road, I hadn't thought about the question until you asked it, and I had always assumed, especially when I was young, that you know, a town full of losers pulling out of here to win, uh, that um, of course she would get in the car. You know, absolutely. But but I looked at the lyrics again, like a vision alone again, don't run back inside. The door's open, but the ride ain't free. Climbing back. So he's climbing the back and then lady says climbing the front, which is curious. Uh, and he talks about ghosts and haunting, um, haunting and skeleton. And when you get to the porch, they're gone. So Mary climb in. And so I, this is what I wrote about this. There's a, there's a Joyce Carol Oates story called where are you going? Where have you been? Which is inspired by Bob Dylan's It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, which is a, a spooky thing. And this, this young girl is, is, is seduced to get into the car of someone called Arnold Friend, and it's not a good idea. And so I had that in mind. Um, and it could be read as another ghost story. And I was thinking, well, I hope my daughters wouldn't get in that car. But when I was young, I was the driver pulling out to win. But then there's a lot of pressure sales. There's, he sets a time limit on it. He says it's your last chance. And so on balance, um, I would say that she doesn't get in the car. Uh, maybe now she regrets it, but probably not. She watches his taillights recede into the darkness down Thunder Road, lying out there like a killer in the sun. 
uh, I think she was very wise not to get in. Uh, and it's also a sense in which he talks about all these other people who've tried to get her. And the assumption is that he's not like them, but he could in fact be the ghost of some of these people yeah. too. Um, so like all the best art, like Frost's poem, um, you can read it two ways, depending on you. And you might read it differently at one stage in your life to at another stage in your life. Uh, but on as a father, uh, at my age now, I think she doesn't, and I think she's wise not to. So I will send you, Gavin, uh, when we finish. Um, I had a lady, uh, Bex Goose, uh, who's a podcaster um, on the show, and she was not a Springsteen fan. And she uh, had actually never heard Thunder Road. And she, she read it almost like it was a murder mystery. And she was like, oh, my goodness, no, he's going to kill her if she gets to the car. So I will send you her notes because uh, yeah. there is just the taint of that in your answer. That's a great answer. I appreciate it. It's a slightly pervert. I mean, obviously, the, the surface reason is, yeah, come on. Yeah, of course. As we get older, we get a bit more nuanced. Yes. Uh, and So what's the score? In terms of so about 60 40 60 percent of the people say yes she gets in the car and then about 40 percent say no so it is um and and you there are people that go of course it's bruce springsteen asking me to get in the car i'm going to get in mm -hmm. but there is a fair amount um one of my favorite answers gavin is someone said yes that she gets in the car and they drive to california and that Moonlight Motel mm. is the end of the story, that Mary got in the car, they went to California, they had a life, and now then he is mourning Mary's passing in Moonlight Motel. Okay, that'd be a little bit like County Fair too. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's also that where you start to hear Bruce differently is when you realize that he is not identical with the voice. Right. Uh, so yeah. often. And and that turns it into a story and not uh, a biography or anything. Absolutely. And there are, um, you know, there are people that say, now my, one of my favorite stories is, uh, uh, and I cannot remember the person's name, but he said, it depends if it's the band playing Thunder Road, she gets in the car because it ends very triumphant with Bruce Clarence's saxophone and the band playing that absolutely she gets in the car and they're going off to their happy ever after. He said, when Bruce does it by himself, there is a very sad ending when he na, 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 na. And that's him driving off by himself. And that's how he ended the Paris 2016 show, at least one of them. Yeah. Because uh, he brings the audience down. And of course, in the end, he's a, a really curious thing happened. And the, and the uh, again, this is in the American Lonesome, but in the middle of Ramrod, yeah, in uh, in Paris, all the lights blew, yeah, just boom, wow. and then suddenly, instead of the great big screens and and so on and so forth, suddenly there were some fairly elderly men dressed in black on a stage, a bit like a high school prom, and their instruments wouldn't make a sound, but you still felt that Ram Rob was playing and they came around the audience. We were at this sort of buffer bit. So they came around in front and uh, the only one you could hear was, um, uh, uh, was uh, Jake Clemens's saxophone going. <laughs> <laughs> and he played it, you know, that was it. That's but, great. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of this that something very, very curious happened at that concert. And I guess when you read, if you, if you read the book, and you're in chapter four, when you're reading that, pay close attention to what happens when, what do you do when spring, when you are confronted by Bruce in front of you? Yeah. And your wife is shaking his hand and yeah. you're face to face. What do you do? Well, I put it in the book and then there's something else happened. And there's a footnote about it because it ends up on YouTube, but. Okay. Would, okay. Well, um, I am, uh, I am I, I I have bought the Kindle and uh, I will um, uh, I will email you um, 
and uh, let me know if uh, I can get a signed copy. I will send you the money and postage if you want to, if you have an extra copy of the book or can get me a copy. I would love to sign copy of the book to have for my Springsteen shelf. You know, I have a list of the books, uh, you know, and so I'd love that. But yes, I just bought the Kindle version from Amazon and I just finished um, a a history of Marvel uh, comics, the uh publishing company so i'm going to start your book this afternoon so i'm looking forward to it don't feel obliged no no i want to all right if someone wants to reach you how can they okay so i have a website um, <clears throat> okay uh, gavincolonebrooks.com okay type that in um and there's an email there um which is gavin at gavincolonebrooks.com um okay. anybody, so okay yeah. And uh, are you on social media at all? Yeah, I, I wish I wish I'd been on Twitter when, you know, when when it came out because I'm just fascinated by the community and the, all the people who are on there. Yeah, and that's how we came to contact through that. Absolutely. Uh, and there's a Facebook page for the website, but I'm, I Twitter is is the thing that I go to for an awful lot of stuff and follow a lot of what's happening. Okay. So it's just uh, at Gavin Cologne. All right. I see it. I will do that. Um, Gavin, this is amazing. I had so much fun. I hope you did. Um, please, please, let's, uh, let's stay in touch. And who knows, maybe we'll, uh, we'll have you back on again, you know, because I think uh, we just scratched the beginning of the stories. Sure. Uh, Thank you, Jesse. You're, you're very professional about the way you coax information out of you. Thank you. That's a very nice compliment. I have been told that by a couple of people that um, I'm a pretty good interviewer. I think it's because I think the people I'm interviewing have good stories and I just get out of the way and let them tell it. But thank you so much. Well, um, and that's that's the way I, I've done interviewing in my time. And uh, it's it's a very enjoyable thing. It is. To do it and is. Yeah. All right. Listeners, you stay safe. Go get vaccinated. Uh, let's remember to all be good to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. And thank you. And Gavin, thank you much for joining me. We will talk to you soon. Have a good afternoon. All right. And goodbye listeners. It's NFL draft season. And that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.